with you? What am I doing? Am I losing something? Here we go. Well, it's good to be with you for this month. In fact, I was saying to Joyce on our way coming over here this morning, this is the first time in a long time that we'll actually be here for this whole month and, and next whole month. Not that I'll be speaking both of those times, but we'll be here for, for two months, and we always enjoy the time being here with you. This morning, we have already worshipped. This morning, we have already been exhorted. This morning, we have already been challenged. This morning, we have already been encouraged. I think I should close in prayer. We should go home. <laughs> you know, one, once a, uh, a brother asked from the pulpit, and you've heard this before, I know. He asked from the pulpit. He said, well, um, how much time do I have? And the uh, one in the audience said, you can speak as long as you like, my brother. We're leaving at 12. <laughs> so I don't really know how long I have this morning uh, since we got up here quite late. And can I have the lights on up here? If someone could do that for me. My eyes are not as strong as they once were. Turn with me, please, to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Again, at the beginning of this time, I just want to give you thanks. To this whole assembly, I want to give you thanks for your gifts and support of our ministry over the years and over this past year. You have been so generous and so kind to us that it's made it possible for us to continue in ministry. And so we're just very, very thankful to each one of you and for the gifts that you have supplied to Joyce and I and to the ministry of the Lord. For your faithfulness, we will always be thankful. Hebrews chapter 1, please. Very, very familiar verses to all of us seated in this room this morning. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the Father by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by Son whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. And the Lord will add His blessing to the reading of these two verses of His precious Word. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge our need of Thy Spirit to be working in our midst, both in speaker and listener alike, that You would open our ears, open our eyes, to see those things which You would have us to see this morning that Your Son, our Savior, might be exalted and lifted up. So we give You thanks. We ask for Your guidance and direction. In Jesus' most precious name, Amen. Lewis Sperry Chafer once wrote, and if you're not familiar with Lewis Sperry Chafer, you ought to get familiar with him. He wrote several good books. One of my favorites is He Who is Spiritual, which is a wonderful book to get your hands on. He also wrote a very extensive systematic theology. At one point, he was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary in, in Dallas. And he wrote this, and I quote, As no other literature in the world, the Bible invites and sustains a ceaseless rereading. Its pages are ever-flashing new gems of truth to those most familiar with it. And its uplifting moral appeal, like its pathos, never fails to move 
the sensitive soul. Its message is perennially fresh and effective. What a true statement that is. How many times, my brothers and sisters, have you taken the Word of God in your hand and read over a familiar passage that you've read multiple times before and the Spirit of God takes that same passage and drives it home to your heart like He never did before. And you're encouraged and you're strengthened and you're built up. You're crushed and you're broken as the Lord opens His Word and opens your heart to receive the Word. And all of us in this room who have studied the Word of God for any length of time understand the words that I just read. It is an amazing book that we hold in our hands because it is the living Word of God that we hold in our hands. It is God-breathed. And He's revealing Himself to us through His precious Word. And as we read it from cover to cover, we find that marvelous story being portrayed. From Genesis all the way through the end to Revelation, we see God progressively revealing Himself to mankind. And we see His overarching plan and purpose for redemption. But I would even say beyond that, beyond the redemption of man, which of course is the story of Scripture. But beyond that, and even above that, is God's glory. God bringing glory to Himself by what He does and what He performs. The end, the end result, that which is God is striving for through all the Scriptures is that in the end He will receive the glory. Do our hearts give Him the glory now? Every knee shall bow. We just sang. What a beautiful song. Every knee one day shall bow. My knee has already bowed as yours. Bowing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Bowing our knee. Acknowledging Him for who He is and for the great things that He has done. What a wonderful Savior that we have revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. This is His one and only book. This is his one and only book. He didn't write multiple books. Within it is contained multiple writings. But it is one whole canon of Scripture. He gave us one book and it, in it is contained all the revelation of man from the ages to the ages. It's a beautiful, wonderful story. And He revealed Himself to mankind through actual experience. Men experienced God. Men heard His voice. Men wrote down as they were inspired by Him. Holy men of God were moved by the Spirit of God and wrote down for us His very words. 
God spoke. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke. That should get our attention right away. God, El Shaddai, the Almighty One, has spoken. And we ought to be those whose ears are open to His voice. We of all people who have been saved by His matchless grace should have our ears open to the voice of God when He speaks. God has spoken. And it's a spectacular story that He has spoken. He's spoken various times. He's spoken various ways. Or literally, He spoke by many portions. When you look at this first word where He says, God who at various times, that phrase various times means in many parts. In many portions He spoke. He spoke in different portions. In many multifaceted ways. I can never say that word faceted anymore in this assembly without remembering Vinnie Morneau as he, as he was speaking, got up one day and he was praying and he talked about the many faucets of God's love. <laughs> Being a plumber, I guess that's one of the natural words that he came up with. But the many facets of God's plan of redemption. The many Ways in which He has revealed Himself through progressive revelation. Making Himself known. Progressive revelation means little by little He revealed Himself to man. Not all at once. Not all in one chapter. Not all in one section. But little by little by little, God was making Himself known to man through the revelation of Scripture. In many parts, over many years, revealing Himself to mankind through the various times of human history. He has been showing Himself to us, showing Himself to mankind by many portions, little by little over time, from Genesis to Malachi. Little by little, over many years, from Matthew to Revelation, He has been showing us His ways. He has been showing us His mind. He has been showing us His plan. Not only for the times past, not only for the times present, but for what is yet to be. He has revealed it to us. In his word. And by the time we get to Malachi, we have learned much about the nature and character of God himself. By the time we get to Revelation, we have seen the culmination of the ages and the reality of the wonder of salvation that he has provided for us to all, to Jew and Gentile alike. His purpose and plan for the nation of Israel and his purpose and plan for the for the church of God. His purpose and plan for the church in the age in which we live. And His overall purpose for the people of God. He has shown Himself. In many ways, various times, 
and in various ways. What are the ways that God used to reveal himself? Well, he used didactic for sure, meaning that he teaches clearly, clearly didactic teaching that the Lord uses in his scripture. He teaches us. Not only through didactic, but through history, through prophecy, through narrative, through poetry, through law, through, through parables, types, antitypes, symbols. He has been teaching us down through the ages. In visions, in dreams, he revealed himself to mankind. He revealed himself to the prophets. It's an interesting little phrase he adds here. He says, in times past. By all these various ways, in times past, a great while ago, all of it was leading to these last days. All of it was leading to these last days. And as I've said to you here before, I will say it again to remind you that we are living in the last days. Because the last days began when Christ was on this earth. The last days began when He offered Himself as a sacrifice and He died and shed His blood for the sins of mankind and He was raised up again. And we are now living in the final stage of God's revealed purpose. And we are living in the last days. That's cool stuff, man. That's wonderful stuff. We are living in the last days of God's wonderful purpose. All leading up to these last days who where now He has spoken to us by Son. And you need to see that little phrase and we don't have time to really spend in it. James has already exhorted me not to build a real big front porch this morning. But you notice how he says this. You notice how he says this. He says, He spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets in these last days who spoken to us by Son. Not the Son. The, the Son is in italics and it's not there. It's by Son. The triune God now speaking to us by Son. God incarnate coming into the world. And he's spoken now. His final revelation by Son. That's a wonderful, wonderful truth to get a hold of. Wonderful truth they get a hold of. It is the one through whom we already heard this morning has been appointed heirs of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the creator of all history. Did you notice as you move down in these verses that we read, there's so much depth in these, and you've already, you've already seen the depth, that he's revealing himself in many portions, he's revealing himself in many ways. He revealed himself through, through dispensations, he revealed himself through covenants, he revealed himself through these covenants that was made with man. He showed who he was. He revealed himself through the workings that he has done, through his various administrations. He has revealed to us who He is and His plan. And then He says, 
He's spoken to us by Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. So I don't know what your translation says there, how it translates that, but it is really the word eon. It has this idea of he, through Him He created the ages. It's not necessarily speaking of the world in the physical sense of the world and the worlds of this universe that He has made, but He has created the ages. All the successive ages of time in the plan and purpose of God have been designed and put into motion by the Son who created them, who made them ages and times. And as I said earlier, you and I are living in the last days. And He has given us purpose. And He has given us responsibility. We were exhorted about it already this morning. He has given us responsibility to live in this age. We are, as Joey even mentioned this morning, we are adopted children. We have been placed as full-grown sons into the family of God. And as full-grown sons, we have privilege and we have responsibility. Don't ever, re- don't ever think you just have privilege without the responsibility that goes with being a son and a daughter of the living God. We have responsibilities. How are we living in the day and age that Christ created and placed you and I in? How are we living? How are we living? Age received a portion, if you will. Each age received a portion. To Adam and Eve was given the promise of a deliverer. You remember that, don't you? And we'll, we'll look at this more in the weeks to come. Because we're going to look at the workings of God over these four weeks together. We're going to look how God, through the different dispensations of time, through over the, the wonderful works of God and His workings through and in this world, we're going to see how God worked His plan and His purpose to bring about all the way to the time of the end. Each age, if you will, each period received a portion. You remember the story of Adam and Eve, and we'll go back to this again. The beginning, after the fall, a promise was made. Do you remember who that promise was made to? We might say Adam and Eve, but it wasn't. It was made to the devil, wasn't it? It was made to Satan. The promise of a seed that was to come. The seed of the woman that was to come. He said to the enemy who had caused the fall, he said, he talked about the seed that was to come and that that seed would bruise his heel. I mean, he would bruise its heel and that that seed would crush his head. Right from the beginning, He told the enemy of your soul and mine what his destiny would be. That he would seem to gain some victory, but in the end, he would be crushed. And ever since that moment, 
the enemy was out to destroy the seed. Ever since that moment, going down all the history that you find in the, in the Old Testament and into the New Testament, the enemy, the devil, Satan, was out to destroy the seed. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? He made the promise of the seed. And the enemy went out to destroy it. Cain kills his brother Abel. And we'll see more of this when we get to this. In, a, in next week, likely, is where, when we'll be there. Cain kills his brother Abel. God provides Seth. He fills the world with wickedness. The enemy of your soul fills the world with wickedness. And God Himself says, I repent that I have even made mankind. The thoughts of his heart are evil continuously. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the seed is preserved. And the seed is preserved. You ever wonder about that little story? And there's many of these that you can remember in your own time. Many of these that you can remember. Remember the little story in the time of Joseph? You're getting the story of Joseph, and it's a wonderful story, isn't it? The story of Joseph we all love. And then all of a sudden you get this little kind of torrid scene that comes in with Tamar and Jude. And you say, what in the world was going on there? What in the world was going on there? I'll tell you what was going on there. God was preserving the seed. God was preserving the seed through Judah. Tamar becomes part of the the line of the Messiah who was to come. He preserved the seed. When man tried to not do what he was told to do, in a perversion that took place, among a harlot, God preserves the seed. You remember going down through history. Jathaliah, to pull one out from your memory banks. Do you remember? She was the daughter, I believe. You scholars can correct me later. But she was the daughter, I believe, of Jezebel and Ahab. And when when the king had died, she sought out to slay all the children of Judah. Kill them all! Because she wanted to be on the throne and rule. Kill all the seed of Judah. All the seed. Joash was taken by godly men and hid away. And God preserved the seed. Do you understand how your redemption hangs on these stories? I I, I try to say that reverently. Because you recognize that God is overall and sovereign overall. But you realize how your, your redemption hangs on these stories. To destroy the seed would destroy the coming of the Messiah. To destroy the seed would destroy the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. And God would not have it. God would not allow it. And God preserved the seed by His sovereign providence and sovereign power. He preserved the seed. I mean, we can go forward. We can go on this for, for quite a while, I suppose, but we don't want to do that. You catch the, catch the drift. You remember, remember even at the birth of Jesus. What did Herod do to those children in Bethlehem to try and destroy the seed? 
Kill everyone. Two years of, is it two years? Of age and younger. Kill them all! But God had already taken, my vision told Joseph to take him and flee to the land of Egypt. And he preserved the seed that was to come. God is working through the ages. God has been working through the ages to bring about His purpose and His design down through all of the ages. Esther, Mordecai, and Haman. <laughs> and these are but a few. God has been working. God has been working. Through the ages, God gives us a glimpse of His purposes. So to Adam and Eve, the promise of a deliverer. To Noah, the guarantee of a world to which Messiah would belong is revealed. And we'll look at these things more, as I've said, going forward. To Abraham, the nation for whom the seed would come. To Jacob, the tribe through which he would come. To David and the family, the kingdom that he was to bring. To Micah, the very place of his birth would be given. To Daniel, 70 weeks. Where the Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. And we misunderstand that phrase so often, I think, in Daniel's prophecy, where he speaks about Messiah being cut off, but not for himself. It doesn't really refer to the, his crucifixion or cross, although it led to that, that he would be cut off having nothing. He would be cut off and have nothing. What did that mean? He didn't enter into his kingdom. He didn't enter into the promised kingdom that was His. He was cut off before He received the kingdom. But well, we've already been singing. That isn't the end of the story. For God had a purpose in this world and He brought about a church. And God has His purpose in this world. He is going to bring back the Lord Jesus Christ again. And He will, that time, set up a kingdom. He will reign forever. First for a thousand years, and then forever. So down through the ages, God was at work. He made covenants. He made promises to men. Some of those covenants were conditional. Some of those covenants were unconditional. He makes a covenant with Adam in, in, in the Garden of Eden. And of course, these covenants can be numbered all kinds of different ways. Some see five, some see seven, some see three, some see two. Some, you know, so it's, it's according to how, how your theological thinking goes. And I'm not one, and I have not been one for, for many, many years, who wants to label anything. I don't want to give artificial labels to things that, but it is helpful sometimes, you know. People will say, ah, oh, I hear by what you're teaching that you're a dispensationalist. Well, I would have to answer, yes, I am. But I don't like the title. 
I just like being one who seeks to know, know and understand the Word of God as clearly as I can. And I can see all God's working in and out through these times and through these and portions and, and, and uh, these different ways in which He worked. But I also see God's grace at work. From beginning to end, I see God's grace to, at work. Don't you? Did you ever see a time in the revelation of God where you didn't recognize and see His ultimate grace and mercy to the likes of us and those who came before us? So yes, I, I, you could call me a dispensationalist, but please don't call it to me, to my face. I just don't like the terminology. It's like when people say, well, I'm not a Calvinist, or I'm not an Armenian, or I'm not this. I'm a Biblicist. That's an arrogant statement. What you're saying by that statement is, all those other guys don't follow the Bible. I follow the Bible. I think that's an arrogant statement. Because I have many brothers and sisters who love the Lord as deeply as I do, probably deeper than I do, who see things a little different than I do. And guess what? One day, I'm going to stand before the Lord, and He's going to say, you know, you got that one wrong. Or you know, you got that one right. But our goal in all of our study, our goal in all of the preaching and teaching of the Word of God is that He, in the end, might receive the glory that he might receive the glory. So we have these covenants that was given. One was given to Adam and Eve. Some separate them as, as being the Adamic covenant and the Edenic covenant, or you can put them together as one covenant. And that was a conditional covenant, which we will look at that portion of God's workings next week in more completion. He outlined there man's responsibility toward him. And this was in a period of time. I said we're going to look at it next week, and you probably will. And I hope I don't repeat myself too much. You're, working, you're looking at a time before sin entered the world. Can you even imagine a time like that? Can you even imagine a time where man and woman had no evil thought, no evil intent, where man's thoughts were continually right and good. That's you all the time, isn't it? <laughs> it was a world that was perfect, in which God had placed a man and a woman perfect. Yet there was evil in the creation that God had made because there, an angel, Satan, had fallen from heaven and brought a third of the angels in his revolt and rebellion. And he would enter into that perfect world. And in his entering, he would bring temptation. And in that temptation, there would be a fall. And in that fall, there would be death that would pass upon all men for all have sinned. 
But God made a covenant with them. And God said to them in that time of innocence, this is all I'm asking of you. Take care of this place I've made. Till it and keep it. Take care of the garden that I have made. I placed you here. You have everything you need. All the fruits of the garden you may freely eat. I've given you everything you need to be sustained. But here's the one prohibition. Do not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat thereof, dying you shall die. And we know the story, and I won't go any further in it, but you have this this covenant made with Adam. If you do this, this will be the result. If you don't do it, dying you will die. We know how that turned out. And we will not blame a woman We will not blame Eve. For in the final analysis, Adam was held responsible. Was he not? When it talks about sin entered the world and death by sin, it speaks about Adam. The woman was deceived. Adam was not. And we won't go there anymore. I said I wasn't going to go there and I already went there. This is why I always run out of time. You know that, don't you? So I always run. Then you, then you have another covenant that God brings. After the wickedness that entered into this world, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God makes a covenant with Noah. And that covenant with Noah is that he would never again destroy all life on the earth with a flood. You notice he didn't say he would not destroy all life on the earth. He would just never do it again with a flood. Because one day, this earth will indeed be destroyed by fire and a final judgment. And God, will, this earth will melt away with a fervent heat. And one day, it will all be gone in the plan and the purpose of God. God gave a rainbow as the sign of that covenant. And that covenant was unconditional. It was a promise that the entire world would never flood again as it did. Yet judgment is coming. Then there was the Abrahamic covenant, which is again an unconditional covenant. You might lump the the Palestinian covenant in with this, or you might even lump it in with with David, depending on where you want to go. Probably with David is a better place to lump it if you're going to lump it at all. Lump it or leave it. Either way, you'll you see the covenants. But to Abraham, there was a covenant that was made, a promise that was made. To your seed, to your seed, I will bless the whole world through you. I, and we'll go into these promises at a, at a later date. But I am going to give you an inheritance And he marks out the inheritance that Abraham will one day have. His people, the nation of Israel, will one day possess. 
And I believe, some do not, but I believe that God is going to literally bless a literal Israel in the literal city of Jerusalem, in a literal land called Israel. And I don't believe it's spiritual. I don't believe it is just a spiritual kingdom that is to come. I don't believe it's the church has taken on all the promises that were made to Israel. I do not believe that. I believe that the promises that God made to Abraham, literal promises, will be fulfilled literally in his people. Because I follow, as many do, a literal, historical, grammatical approach to the Word of God. And I see it that way, as we'll see in, in the weeks to come. God makes promises, and He will keep promises. He made a promise to Abraham. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said, not unto seeds as to many, but as to one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. The promise of the coming Messiah given to the people of Israel. The Mosaic Covenant. I'm not going to go through all of these right now, or I'll go, my mind will go, and you won't, you'll forget everything I said. But then there was the Mosaic Covenant, which was, which was a conditional covenant that was made, wasn't it? Do this, and this will be the result. Don't do that, this will be the curse. Do, and you'll be blessed. Don't do, you'll be cursed. And he sets up this law to govern the nation of Israel, his people to govern his people. And we'll see all of the results of that as we go forward. Then the Davidic kingdom he set up. He put a king on the throne. As he promised in Deuteronomy, he would. He promised he would put a king on the throne in Deuteronomy 17, I think. He promised that there would be a king that would come. In fact, a lot of the discussions talk about a king who would come. And he sets first Saul on the throne. The people of Israel said, we want a king like the other nations. And you notice in, no, you didn't notice because you didn't turn there, but in, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, he says, I will give you a king like the other nations. And then the people of Israel say, we want a king like the other nations who will go out and fight for us. What's the difference between those two things? Why does God get all upset of Israel for asking for a king like the other nations? Because in Deuteronomy 17, he's saying, I'm going to give you a king, just like all the other nations have kings. I'm going to set you up with a king. That's different from saying, we want a king so we can be like the nations. You see the difference? We don't want to be a theocracy. We want to be like all the other nations. Give us a king. And God gives them Saul. Oh, I'm getting way off track. And he gives him David, through whom the king would come, who will one day sit on the throne of David, who will one day rule for a thousand years on this earth, and then forevermore. Then you have the new 
covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31, where he sets up a new covenant. And we enjoy the benefits of the new covenant in this day in which we live. But there'll be a way in which that covenant is expressed going forward that will see even greater completion than it even does now where we live in what we in in the church in which we are a part of so the 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 fulfillment of each of these covenants required time still requires time the fulfilling of covenants require time and you will notice as we get in looking at the the ways in which god dealt through periods and I don't want to say periods of time. Oftentimes we get the misunderstanding that a dispensation is a period of time that has a definite beginning and a definite end. That's not always true. Dispensation is more a working of God, an administration of God by which he is working with mankind. They always have beginnings, but oftentimes they don't have ends. They continue on. Some of the portions of them, responsibilities, continue on. Let me give you an example. I'm looking at the clock and saying this is bad. Let me give you an example. Eden, the very first one, the very first covenant, a very first dispensation, if you will, if you want to use that terminology. Some of the responsibilities he gave to them was to care for this earth. I don't know any place where he took that charge away. I don't know any place where he said, no longer care for the earth. And that is filtered all the way down through the generation in which we live. We still have a responsibility to the creation that God has given to us. He didn't resend that. He didn't resend it. It continues on. The law that he gave... Now, we, all, we have always studied and we always know that we are no longer under the law, but under grace. That does not mean, my friend, that the law is never used anymore. It's not important anymore. It's not a governing factor in your life anymore. Because the New Testament and through the epistles teach all the principles of the law under grace. Because the law says, thou shalt not kill... We're under grace. We can kill if we want to. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I can commit adultery. I'm under grace after all. God's going to forgive me. Yes, he will. But he still tells you that this is what you ought not to do. It's still law. And all of the principles, all of the commandments in the law are carried over into grace, save one. Except for one. And that is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You find it in the epistles, I mean, you find it in the gospels, but you do not find it in the doctrines of the early church. They met together on the first day of the week when the church gathered together to remember, to break bread, to hear the apostles' doctrine. That's the only one that I can think of that isn't carried over into the system of grace. So the dispensations, these workings of God, have beginnings, but oftentimes the, the things that he's taught them carry on through time, even down into the age in which we live. Okay, enough. I will stop. I will stop. 
Let me just remind you of this one last thing. I, I said, I'm sorry, I'm closing everything. But did you realize, have you ever thought of this? And I'll close with this, I promise. Have you ever thought of this? That all of the scripture from Genesis to the coming of Christ, the middle of it is chapter 4. <laughs> Imagine. In Genesis, you're already at the middle. Out through their, through their chronological charts and all that stuff, which I don't, you know, you you can work it out. It's a rather complicated system, but you can figure it's about 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 two thousand years from Adam to Abraham, and two thousand years from Abraham to Christ. It's right in the middle. And you're only at chapter 9. I mean, only at chapter 11 or 12. Chapter 12. You're only at chapter 12. In the revelation of God. In his progressive revelation to his people. So over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to look at these ways in which God has dealt through the ages to bring about his glory and the redemption of you and me. Father, we give you thanks. We give you praise for the wonderful works that you have done. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.